And welcome. It is time for the final finale, last ever episode of Normandy FM Final Fantasy X Edition. And quite possibly due to the subject material, the last episode of Normandy FM <laughs> ever. We might just call it off after this. Oh, Lord. I am your co-host, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. How you doing, Ken? I need the higher-ups at Square Enix to be at my funeral to put my cask in the ground so they can let me down one more time. They... I don't even know what to say. Poe is meowing, yowling in the background, going, no, stop. This is the wrong timeline. <laughs> I was supposed to stop this. Um, it's... Boy, we are really going to dive into some stuff today. Uh, really, I think, an incredible look at what Final Fantasy became in a post-10-2 world. Because, you know, we talked about at the beginning of 10-2 how amazing it was that it even happened, right? It was really the first time that Square said, we're going to make a sequel to one of our games. Uh, and what would follow after 10-2 was years of them beginning to do the same. Uh, Seven got a bunch of companion works. Uh, Final Fantasy IV got the after years. Uh, and, and even if you want to like really stretch the definition out to today, like Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV are living worlds of Final Fantasy games. And Final Fantasy XV uh, in particular uh, got broken out into so many different pieces that they didn't even have time to finish it. <laughs> so uh, they couldn't finish the game before it got panned and canned. Uh, so I think looking at this it's really interesting to go from final fantasy 10 into final fantasy 10 2 which ends up i think by the end creating a very good circular um almost like you have completed a circle right mm -hmm. like you have started at a point and gone from point a to point b and had the full journey there full experience there i'd say final fantasy 10 stands alone uh by itself very well but then you take point b and you evolve it and you twist it and you bring it back full circle and create almost this like beautiful uh round i don't know like oval moon something of of a a story and you you have fully fleshed out this world its characters where it's going what it's doing and, and it really feels like everything has been brought home but why let a good thing rest ken <laughs> mm. This this baby's making money, so <laughs> yeah. And, um, oh. we'll, we'll unpack it all as we go. But it's like I, it's so wild. Like as I was, you know, re-familiarizing myself with all of this, to just have no idea where they lost the thread, like where they lost like the vision they had of what this universe was, what these games were like, like the story these games were telling. And this really gets into, like, you know, as we've hinted at throughout the season, like, the Final Fantasy storytelling of today, where you add shit just because you can, not regardless of whether it needs to be said or not. And I will say that not all of the stuff we cover is bad today. Two-thirds of the stuff we cover is bad today, <laughs> but we do get we do get a good slice that we get to start with. Yeah, which they We get do, to have a good like, foot forward. Which, and, we'll, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. They do ultimately try to undermine this as well of with course, the other stuff that they course. put out. So, mm -hmm. 
so if you've not uh, been listening, uh, first of all, if you're tuning in just now, what are you doing? Get back. There's like very a weird, whole... Very weird point to jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got so many seasons before now. We are, as always, Normandy FM. We have, uh, we do retrospectives, and this is the conclusion of our entire Final Fantasy X season. So if you're just hopping in now, I'd really suggest you just go back and start with Final Fantasy X, uh, and then we go on through all of that into Final Fantasy X-2, which we just concluded, and now we are rolling into what we'll call the Final Fantasy X Expanded Works. Uh, and that includes three major pieces. Uh, Final Fantasy X-2 Last Mission, which is on the disc or in the package if you bought the Final Fantasy X and X-2 HD remaster. And that was, I believe, the first time it came over to the West. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there are also the Final Fantasy X-2.5. I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Ain't no daisho. Uh I, I don't I don't know. Uh, it's it's like a light novel sequel to Final Fantasy X, do, uh, written by Kazushige Nojima, uh, who had written the scenario for X and X two. Um, and then which is hard to believe. It ends with the uh, to be continued that leads into Final Fantasy X Will, which is uh, I'm pulling it up again, but it's an audio drama, also mm-hmm. written by Kazushige Nojima. Uh, for the Final Fantasy X and X to HD remaster. Uh, and the general timeline that we have is uh, X-2 Last Mission takes place about three months after the defeat of Vegnagun. Uh, 2.5 takes place... I'm trying to remember exactly when it takes place in the timeline. Uh, it takes um, place oh, it was between... right after... 10-2, right? Uh, it takes place between the good ending where Titus and Yuna meet up on the beach and the perfect ending where they are in Vanrican. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Apparently. Yeah. So, wait. And I do think, like, that's... Yeah, I know. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, I and did I, not I do think, know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, I do think, like, there's, there's a lot of important context in terms of, like, everything that we said about, you know, the ending of 10-2 in the last episode, which I think, like, you know, as it stood... 19 years ago, I think all the things that we said still apply. Uh, but here, you know, when Square was trying to, like, make these these extended works, they were like, what if we just shoved it in the most arbitrary and, like, unsatisfying and disruptive place that we could in what's already been seen? And then that's where this light novel takes place, and then Will takes place after all of it. Yeah, Will takes place... Two years after the start of the Eternal Calm, which puts it a year after the events of Ten Two, or six months after the events of Ten Two Last Mission, I believe. Uh, but two years it, it opens with two years since the Eternal Calm started. That's kind of like the rough timeline of of Will, uh, and that's a whole barrel <laughs> barrel of monkeys. Mm, God. <laughs> barrel of Xanderkin monkeys. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um oh boy okay let's start with last mission let's stay positive let's look yeah. on the bright side of life uh last mission is an actual game unlike the other two that we have here which are a novel and a uh drama an audio drama i should say um last mission is actually to me kind of interesting gameplay wise because mm. it is 
a game in the vein of the Mystery Dungeon series, mm-hmm. uh, very much that classic tower climbing uh, roguelike uh, where you are going up the tower, defeating enemies. It's very careful in planning. It actually, I call it roguelike instead of roguelite because it is very much taking after the design of a game like a rogue. Uh, where you have to keep starting over and uh, you really get rewarded for careful planning and moving and things like that. Uh, And definitely Mystery Dungeon, Sheer and the Wanderer, all things that it immediately brings to mind. Uh, Very different, though, from Final Fantasy X and X-2. But hey, we've had two games in a row now where they've massively shifted up the (laughs) battle system, so I don't think that's too weird for this series. Uh, we won't talk too much about that, but I did just want to mention it, and I, I do think I, I didn't get to spend too much time with it, but I liked some of the ideas it was using, like dress spheres having their own HP bars mm-hmm. and, and kind of having to make decisions about what you want to have in your dress sphere lineup. You know, what's taking damage, what's in the reserve, uh, how you're planning that stuff out is really interesting. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting in a way, and like it also ends up playing into the way they tell some of the story because like. You can play as either Yuna, Rika, or Pain. Like, you, singularly, you, mm-hmm. you play as one mm-hmm. character. And then, so it was interesting to me that, like, in storytelling, they would also, like, each character has their own monologue, which is something that we only ever see with a playable character in these games. And so those are just, like, little touches that I thought were interesting. And I think, like, if I, you know, really sat down and played through it, I think I would really enjoy it. But I was kind of disappointed when it finally, because, like, this had not come here before the remaster. And I, I was kind of disappointed to see that it wasn't just, you know, more of Tenchu's gameplay, because I think... Had it been that, I would have been more inclined to have finished it like a, like mm. several years mm-hmm. ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting, and I I enjoyed the time that I've ever put into it, but I've never actually got around to finishing it myself, largely because I was like, ah, this doesn't feel like what I this isn't what I came here for in terms of right, mechanics. Right. So yeah, I, I I will give it props for what it is, but it's just not really what I was wanting out of like an extended, ten two expansion almost. Yeah, I I think it's an interesting move and direction to take the series. And I especially think it's interesting that was part of the international edition uh, as sort of this epilogue type thing. And we can get into some of the weird story construction as we get there. But uh, we're mostly going to be talking about the narrative of it as it pertains to both the ending of 10-2 and also kind of the resolution it gives to YRP specifically. And I think that's one thing I do particularly like about Last Mission is it's very YRP focused. Mm-hmm. It's um, they don't really address the Tita stuff outside a few mentions, from what I understand, right. and mm-hmm. that might seem weird coming out of the good or perfect ending of Ten Two, but I actually think that works to its benefit because it keeps the focus on these characters mm-hmm. and it lets them hash out some really interesting stuff uh, yeah. that I, I really really enjoy. So we start out with Yuna arriving at the. Lucas Stadium, uh, there's no Blitzball happening right now, and uh, it's kind of, it's a weird vibe. Mm. Um, she She's hanging out alone, uh, and then Riku shows up. They've both received a letter uh, asking them to show up without a return address. Uh, they talk, it seems like they haven't really seen each other in a while. Remember, this takes place about three months after the defeat of Vegnagun, so... Uh, it does seem like they kind of went each other's ways. There's there's a line that Yuna has where it's like, I thought we would always be together. Told myself we could see each other whenever we wanted, but time just kept passing. Um, 
that one that last one was Riku, by the mm. way. Um and, and the letter had directions for them to check a specific seat in the Lucas Stadium. Uh Payne's also there. She's got a letter too, so uh, they they kind of go on a little bit of a scavenger hunt looking for this stuff, and they kind of start talking in the meanwhile. Um, so we learned that uh, you both Yuna and Payne have left. Oh, wait, 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 Yuna and... Am I misremembering this? They left the Gold Wings? No, right. Yuna and, Yeah, Yuna and Payne left the Gold Wings? Okay, mm-hmm. right. Um, and and Payne kind of monologues again. You know, I suppose some bonds just can't be broken. Um and this is a good time to point out, like, all three of them are monologuing, which mm. is kind of cool. Um, we get all three of their perspectives here. Very, again, very reflective of the game pay, gameplay that we're going to have, uh, that we're playing as these individual characters. So they all get on board the Celsius. They take off, and things are kind of weird. It's There's no one else but YRP on the ship, brother, and the others are gone. Um, again, this is a very, very YRP-centered story. Mm. Uh and they they read the letter and find out they need to reach the top of I'm going to butcher this name once and then never say it again. We're just gonna call it the tower. Uh Udisir? Okay. I Udisir? Okay, cool. Udisir? There we go. Udisir? Mm. Maybe I'm, I'm I, ba- I barely know her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Need to reach the top of the tower because there's something worth seeing. And Payne, you know, points out, oh, I've heard of it. Um, it's a ruined tower. There's been rumors about it. So they take off, you know, do a YRP, you know, the, the gang's back together and we get to the tower. Um, and it's, it's kind of another ruin, kind of like the ones we've seen all across Spira. Um, it's definitely got some Xanarkin vibes, but mm. this is another one of those times when, uh, much like the beginning of Ten Two, when we were climbing those those ruins at the very very beginning, there's a sense that like, oh, there's still so many parts of this world that have just gone unexplored because mm-hmm. they everyone's too busy getting killed by sin. <laughs> like, what's the point in exploring the ruins? Um, and and Riku is like, oh, we could just fly to the top of the tower if we wanted to, but Payne's like, no, no, the letter says we got to get there on our own skills. Um, and that's where we kind of learn how to play the game, the the roguelikeness. Um, from there, the gameplay starts again. We're not really touching on the gameplay. So uh, many floors later, Payne starts joking with Yuna about being out of shape. Yuna has not been exercising lately, uh, you know, keeping in that fighting form. And uh, Riku is like, oh, I'm fine because, you know, I haven't just been sitting around. I've mm. been, you know, helping Shinra, um, who's researching something. And um, Riku's been doing a ton of the field work. So she's been looking around at the bottom of the sea, doing missions, all that sort of stuff. Like, she's just busy. She's working like crazy. Um, she's doing a ton of stuff. LeBlanc wanted to do something at Gagazette, so Riku... Uh, tried to introduce them. Riku helped Clasco, the kindergartens. Tobli wants Riku to sing on his stage, so she she's been taking lessons from Barkeep on how to do all that. And you was kind of like, huh? You've uh, you've certainly been busy. You've been doing a lot, huh? Mm-hmm. And then Riku's like, hey, if if you wanna you wanna help, you can help. And um, uh, she says, no matter how many times I ask, she's always too busy to help. You never want to see me anymore, Uni. And mm. uh, this is really the start of mm. what will become 
a running theme of this, how almost called it a DLC, uh, <laughs> of, of this epilogue is that they not only has YRP kind of gone their separate ways, but there is some tension right. about it, like an um, immediate passive aggression from Riku. As yeah, like she's in proximity of the others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it's kind of what's my, my takeaway of the whole thing is like it really speaks to. Like, it spoke to me very much because it feels very, uh, it's talking about, like, how adult friendships usually work. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. like, if you're not people that see each other through work or see each other through some kind of, like, consistent activity that you're doing, a lot of times, like, you can go a very long time without speaking to people that you are ostensibly very close to, that you still consider yourself very close to. And I think that become that's especially hard, like, when you're, you know, just coming out of, like, you know, school, like, whether it's high school or, or college or whatever, because, like, you have this kind of, like, set thing that requires you to be around the people that you care about, but once you start to all kind of, like, separate and live your own lives, then it becomes, like, this really hurtful thing, almost, because, like, it's something that you all don't really notice until it starts to just become very apparent that you're not seeing each other, and then everyone is being pulled in all these different directions, but they feel like it's a failing on them or each other, or, you know, their other friends, and, yeah, it leads to moments where you finally do see each other, and there's kind of, like, a almost like an exasperation that you're finally even in the same room because it took this long to get together. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when we were talking about this originally and I was kind of going through the story for the first time, I remember telling you that like this feels like the completion of an arc because 10 is the sort of coming-of-age story where someone is determining their place in the world and definitely like separating it from their parents and striking out on their own and and trying to determine, you know, I'm I'm not who my lineage determines me to be. I am my own person, which could be anywhere from, you know, adolescence and teen angst all the way up to like high school and going into college, right? Mm-hmm. And then Ten Two kind of felt like college time. You know, that was the time when you are out there exploring on your own, you're doing all kinds of different stuff. You're just going wherever life takes you and figuring out what it is you like to do, what, you know, who you are as a person um, and, and kind of defining yourself in different ways. I think the dress sphere system really emphasizes that and that mm-hmm. it's, you're not just doing all these different jobs per se, you know, in the traditional Final Fantasy system, but you're also trying many different things and all of the girls are able to try them and start to excel them in, in different ways and, and build a collaboration around the ways in which they excel and, and in which they, they make up for each other's lacking strengths. And I think that's a really cool concept. And now we take it into, if we're going to use this continual aging metaphor, this is like post college this is post that era of your life where you are constantly around people all the time that are doing the things you want to do and all growing together and now you're kind of doing your own thing you know there's there's bills to pay there's stuff you got to do there's obligations in your life Mm. and even apart from that maybe the things you learned while in that previous stage of your life taught you that you're going a different direction than other people. And that doesn't mean that you don't like each other, but that does mean that you're going to spend a lot less time around each other because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just going to hate each other. (laughs) Uh, And Hey, who's to say that's where we're going to go with the arc (laughs) of this story. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, 
it is amazing how as we move to the next floor uh and and we start kind of you know there's there's a beginning of a you know trying to talk about the tower and being like oh wow yeah it's um you know this is a really old tower this might even predate xanarkin and stuff and then uh riku just kind of starts asking about oh how's so and how's gipple doing what's mm-hmm. what's up with gipple how's how are the others it's totally the conversations you have always had when you finally see someone after not seeing them for like three or five years or something and you're just doing a whole bunch of catch up where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, how's so-and-so doing? How's how's that going? Or what what are they up to? And you basically spend the whole evening doing catch up with each yeah. other. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah it, it works like both as you know a framing for their relationship but also as a framing for this thing that is The Last Mission because it is essentially an epilogue for everybody. Because as, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. all the major characters get brought up in one way or another, like not everybody's given like you know major spotlight, but you know by talking to Riku, who has gone out and basically had some business dealing with everybody in Spira, or mm-hmm. Payne, who is you know what is with the other trio that, mm-hmm. and because they're they're going around, uh, kind of basically doing like a PR tour to like apologize for the mm-hmm, the wreckage mm-hmm. that New Yevon and the Youth League left in their wake as they are also disbanding. Um, so we hear from them, and then later we're going to hear from Yuna talking about the people in Bethsaid. And so it's just, like, a really, again, like, it, it feels, unlike other things that we're going to talk about today, it feels, like, very calculated in what it's trying to do. Like, it really knows why it's here. It's, it knows its function. Mm-hmm. Instead of just doing shit. Um, and it's interesting that here we start to, by talking about that trio, we start to kind of touch on the, um touch on on some of the stuff that they're dealing with some of the questions of like oh yrp isn't exactly together right now anymore um and and pain uh so so yuna brings up oh we might be able to reunite soon there might be a reunion that we can do soon everybody can get back together and pain's like no nah, there's something we want to do first and um and and riku asks once but only once what it is uh, <laughs> which is weird for Riku. Um, it's it's a very different just overall vibe for this group. You can tell that, that things have changed in the time since, that they are all kind of growing separate from each other. Um, we head up to another floor, and you start talking about the sunset, how it looks the same as it does in Besaid. Um This is where we finally get some commentary. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, but I believe this dialogue is differing depending on different versions of the game. Yeah, so the thing is, like, obviously, the, the status of Titus is a question depending on which ending you get. And mm. the weird thing that happened when they brought it over with the HD remaster is, like, they don't share save files with Tentu and the uh, Analyst Mission on the remaster. So you can't, like, import a save to show which ending you got. So it just automatically assumes that Titus never came back in any way. And so I did actually have to go end up looking on YouTube to find some, uh, like, uh, the Japanese version subtitled to talk about uh, what happened with Titus in the event that he is around. And the gist of it is, like, Yuna and Titus are living in Poseidon now, and she's gotten used to, like, this really quiet life after, you know, all of Tintu and all of her adventuring with the Gold Wings. Um... Riku kind of, like, throws teeth in her, like, hey, maybe if you ever get bored of, you know, the mundane, you can come back on the ship and maybe we can go to something else. But then you're just, like, kind of, 
not so sure. Like, she's not really even, like, you know, taking that bait because she feels like she enjoys her, her peace in the with Titus. And, like, Vadina is, like, the center of attention for everybody at on the island right now. Um, so Rihu kind of just says, like, oh, you must not be lonely then. Not since Titus came back. Um, but I think, like, the, uh, if you, you know, you see the English version or the version that just is imported without Titus being there, Yuna mentions that she maybe met somebody new and maybe that she's starting to move on to a different point in her life. And, but, like, we don't ever get any uh, specifics as to who that is because it's not canon anyway, so who cares? It's fake. Um, it's it's bizarre to take the story in, in that direction. I understand, like, there were probably some reasons for why they only brought over X way or didn't import endings or something like that for the collection. But I do think it's kind of weird that the assumed ending right. for the remaster is the, the one that doesn't involve Tidus. That yeah. feels weird to me. Especially when, again, like you, this isn't a choice based ending. This is a, like you've done everything in the game ending. And like that, mm-hmm. that to me implies like a level of, canon or like you know i don't know it, it just seems like i don't know like there's almost like a, a lack of foresight in what they were doing as to what they were going to like what issues they would run into if they didn't keep those systems in place yeah yeah it's it's just it's kind of weird and so you know here yeah we we get a little thing do we want to move forward assuming that it's yuna and titus yeah. together yeah. okay let's make that easy um Yuna and Titus are living in Besage. She's getting used to a quiet life. Uh, and, and Riku starts teasing her, like, oh, you'll come back to the Gull Wings. You know, he won't be able to do it forever. And, and Yuna's not really sure. She kind of enjoys peace. Uh, she spent a lot of time with Vadina, who is the, the child of, of Waka and Lulu. And, um, and, and Riku's like, oh, you must not be very lonely then. Because Yuna's got Titus now. Um, and <laughs> Riku starts to push back and says she's letting life pass her by at Visade and she's almost 20 now. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, Ken. I can't. I can't do this. Square. Square. Please just start aging your characters appropriately for the love of God. <laughs> it's, I would, say, like, I would is, say all these girls are in their mid-20s. That's where they should be. I, I was thinking this is this is late twenties ass shit. This is some like I'm I'm twenty seven, twenty eight sort of thing. Like mm. that's the you're letting life pass you by. That's like the speech you get when you're like twenty eight and and you're starting to like settle down and stuff like that. And and your friend still wants to keep like partying and and all that sort of thing. Uh, like I I am a firm believer. First of all, that there is like way too like small amounts of time between these different slices of game, uh, but also that in Final Fantasy X, everybody is about you know let's let's say somewhere in in like eighteen to twenty two range, eighteen mm-hmm. to twenty four range, and then ten to you're looking at like early to mid 20s but this is like definitely late 20s ass shit right here coming from Mm. someone who just lived through late 20s ass (laughs) shit (laughs) yeah um like it's all i mean we talked about it like i think back in the 10th season like it's like they don't 
like these characters have more lived experience than their age mm-hmm. seems to actually fit with. Yeah, and I get that like in Spira there is probably this feeling of having to mature early and grow mm-hmm. up early because life is shorter for many people because of sin. Uh and and you know shorter expected lifespans can have certain effects on your emotional maturity and things like that but uh there is just also part of me that looks at this and remember like Oren was supposed to be 30 or something like that and i'm just like oh god (laughs) i mean do i wake up some mornings and feel like i'm Oren? yes yes i do (laughs) but (laughs) um I, i i i look at other games i have played from square enix and at least like final fantasy 14 feels like it does a better job of portraying characters who are older without necessarily uh it gets it gets the ages right Mm -hmm. um and and that's due to a variety of reasons but there's like a character who is definitely one of the younger scions in the crew and she's still at least uh, like 24 or something like that. Mm. And it's like, they, they don't really use determinate ages in that game also for a variety of reasons, because time is a wibbly wobbly thing. But th- I think this is actually the problem of starting to add specific time points to your mm-hmm. story is you're trying to advance this story along in certain points. But honestly, like three months, three months is freaking nothing right okay like three months is a weekend we we are four months into the year 2022 right now almost five like think about that for a moment and just kind of like rationalize it and yeah when you're younger every day feels longer because you've lived through fewer of them and all that but it it is a moment where i was like oh boy this Mm. is Really wish they had thought a little bit more about this particular aspect. I'll stop ranting about JRPG ages now, but it's one of my biggest <laughs> things. Uh, um, so Payne kind of wonders, like, oh, have you found everything you're looking for at the state? And you know, it's like, oh, it's it's not like that. You know, I've I've I found what I was searching for, but there's still more that I want for life. Um, but I'm not also not really wanting anything more either. Uh, everything that we're talking about, like in the context of the things that Square Enix has put out more recently, I'm like, the thread, it's gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't anyway. worry, we'll get there, Ken. <laughs> Ugh, I should have drank before this. <laughs> and you don't drink. I know, like, um, I need my, like, one annual drink tonight. Fine. Save that. You save that for Boston, damn it. Mm. <laughs> Not to put our own timeline pin and when we're recording this, but uh, we keep going up and the girls hang out around a campfire. And let me tell you, there's nothing I love more in a video game, any video game than the party is hanging out around a campfire. Probably a significant reason of why I liked Final Fantasy 15. I love a good campfire scene. It's a good time. Uh, they start reminiscing about the mission in Luca. The one that opens 10 to getting the garment grid back you know, wearing the mascot outfit, beating up guards. And Payne reveals that she is writing a book. Uh, she she loved the help uh, of, of the girls, but Yuna doesn't feel like anything needs to be written down to be remembered, uh, which I think is an interesting take from Yuna specifically. But uh, 
you know, Payne's just kind of disappointed and whatever. And Riku starts going, well, you should write about new stuff. Forget old stuff. I got a lot going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is finally where Payne checks Riku. A needed check of Riku. And says, like, you're just doing whatever you can do. You're just staying busy. Like, you don't know what you want to be. You don't know what you want to do. So you're just doing everything. Uh, and and it does kind of remind me of Yuna a little bit in Ten Two, but rather than just people pleasing, this is Riku just trying to stay moving right. so she can't ever stop and think. And boy, have I never related harder to a character. <laughs> well, I mean, it even like we were talking about that last scene that you get like when you have like ninety five percent completion up on the airship, where you talk to her about mm-hmm. like she feels like everybody is moving in without her, and like, and she, I mean, at, she was kind of right because like everybody ended up leaving the gold rings after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so now she's just kind of here like left to you know occupy herself in whatever way because she doesn't know what she wants yet and she doesn't feel like she had that moment that everyone else did where she like like something came to her and like there was something that you know pushed her in one direction and she had facilitated this for other people for so long and now she's just kind of existing not so she doesn't have to think about it yeah it, it starts to escalate at this point too because uh you know, she Riku's like, oh, I have to keep busy. You know, I, I can't be like Yuna just mm-hmm. whiling away her days on Besaid, wasting her time. And, and Yuna's like, hey, fuck you. That's not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I want this life. I want to watch the ocean. I want to go for walks. And and Riku is like, that's so normal, Yuni. And, and Yuna's like, I want normal. Why can't you understand that? And they start getting at each other. Pain tries to get in the middle and Riku, you know, Payne's like, hey, just leave it. And Riku's like, it was easy for you to say. You don't care about anyone but yourself. And they just all start bickering and bickering. And uh, it, it finally, you know, ends with what's the matter? You know, we finally see each other and this is what happens. Things were never like this before. Uh, and that's that's where we kind of end up That yeah. with that is they are just realizing that, hey, something has changed mm. we are different we are not the yrp that we used to be um and so we move on to the next scene everyone's just tired and angry and frustrated and they start speculating about who even wrote the letters that brought them here they start bringing up a bunch of ideas like leblanc and reen and finally Payne is like you know what i'll fess up it was me i did it i wrote the letters uh, Payne had been traveling alone, but felt like something was missing. She wasn't lonely, but her travels had just been lacking. Something was just not there. And and Yuna was like, you could have just told us. Uh, but Payne wanted them to go on an adventure, like before. She wanted to replicate that feeling. And it has clearly not gone as planned, mm. so Payne suggests just leaving. And, and at this point, Yuna insists, no. Like, we've come this far we might as well keep going. Why not? Um, which I think is an important moment. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that moment where they're like, pain finally expresses. It, it, it's a moment of honesty. I think there's been a lot of pointed anger and venom at each other, but not a lot of emotional honesty mm-hmm. from themselves. It's just yeah. kind of been barbs at each other. And so this right. is pain kind of finally being, Hey, like this is, this is what's up with me. I recognize what's been going on. And 
Yuna kind of sees that, I think, and is like, no, no, like, let's keep going. Uh, there is still a little bit of YRP there. Uh, so, next scene. Payne remembers the day that Nuge shot her and the others uh, while looking at the sunset. So she still thinks about it often, even though they're all reconciled now. Uh, and Riku thinks about the night uh, in Xanarkins and and not wanting to get in the way of what Yuna wanted. Um, and, and Yuna starts thinking about it and starts to just trail off at, at the moment. And uh, <laughs> Riku starts to ask if the others think they are dot, dot, dot before just telling them to forget it. Uh, they're all kind of thinking about things and still trying to work themselves to the place where they could start to open up finally. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I think they spent like a lot of this point, and I think this happens again with anybody that you don't see for a long time. Yes, it becomes very yes. easy to like get an image of somebody fixed in your head, uh, especially when things don't seem to be going well between you. And a lot of this is like people throw in accusations at each other as to why their friendship has not been maintained in the way that it was. And I think that is kind of you know the thing that they're all having to like learn and reckon with here. It's like oh, all of the things that like. I was angry about no like people were just like living their lives and sometimes that doesn't involve me and i think you know even in these moments where they're just like start to connect again even about something as small as like you know these uh memories that they have of their various uh things that they did together you know that's um i i, I think like remembering what actually it has taken place between you kind of starts to chip away at those things that you start to think about each other because it, it like again like it comes it becomes very easy to blame everyone else for not maintaining the friendship, and here they're kind of like having to all just kind of actually look at each other and be like, oh, okay, this is the person that's actually in front of me, not the person that I've been almost demonizing for these however many months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have more thoughts on this, but I want to roll them into the final scene that we get after we beat the big bad. So. We, we, we beat the final boss, top floor, uh, find a huge door at the top of the tower, and there's a machina, but it's broken and old, so it's worthless. So they basically climb the tower for nothing, and Riku starts to get a little snooty about it. Um, and uh, Payne's like, oh, you don't see anything up here? Because I do. And they start taking in the view and looking around. The machina starts to kind of turn on a little bit. Uh, and Yuna says the thing to see is that they're all different. And they start, you know, the music starts playing and they're all laughing and talking and they all start to kind of reflect on this. You know, they reflect that they spent time apart. They went different places. They saw different things. They just got into different parts of their lives. And it, it was clear that they had all become different people from who they were when they were the Gold Wings, when they were YRP. And... It's it's kind of bittersweet, you know. They're mm. like, is our time over now? Are we never going to see each other again? Is is that just gone? But Riku says, you know, we'll we'll always have our memories. The three of us laughing, the three of us fighting, and pain follows that up and is like, someday we'll all look back and remember the time we spent together. And even if we do grow apart, those moments that we all look back on, and Yuna finishes it off, those moments will never change. And they take in the view as. Uh, the machina turns on and a fountain starts up behind them. Uh, it's a very, like, it's it's sad but sweet at the mm. same time. And it is maybe, 
I think in terms of just honest, raw writing, just really good Mm -hmm. and a way that you would think after 10-2, they couldn't cap it off better than having Tidus come back. Mm -hmm. And I do think, to me, that is still kind of the ending of that arc. But I do like this as one more addendum because it's it lets the idea of Yuna, Riku, and Payne's relationship kind of be sealed and ends up being an interesting commentary on how this group that came together at one point were really close friends at one point are now growing apart. But like, this is a very relatable mm-hmm. experience. I'm, I'm sure right. everyone listening and, and ourselves included have had those moments where people have just kind of drifted out of our lives right. and it doesn't mean we don't like them. It doesn't, it just means we're different people now mm-hmm. and we'll still fondly remember all those people and all the good moments, but it's, things are just different right and that's life yeah i mean a lot of the stuff in 10 and 10 2 it's still like you know relatable in its own way but it's also like wrapped in allegory of mm-hmm. like Spira mm-hmm. and yevin and sin and all that fun shit where this is just like very like very straightforward and raw very about, like, direct yeah you know this is a group of friends that are trying to figure out how they fit in how or if they fit into each other's lives anymore now that they've done the thing that they've done together and yeah that's something that i think is applicable to most people like I have friends that I have not seen in six months who I love dearly. And if they called me up tomorrow, I would be like, hey, let's go get dinner. I would be like, hell yeah. And then we catch up like we do every six months. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. eventually, like, you know, that is something, like I said, you know, in the very beginning, like, that is something that is very tough to deal with, especially when you are just getting out of, like, systems like school and college and even, you know, your early, you know, the early jobs you get during those times. Like, you do have to, at some point, learn to live with the fact that a lot of people will, like, come and go from your life. And it sucks. And it's, you know, there are a lot of complicated, often messy feelings wrapped up in that that you will probably ascribe to the people that you feel that you no longer feel close to. But I think at a certain point, you just have to kind of come to terms with that everyone's got their own life. And not everyone's always going to be directly intertwined with each mm-hmm. other for the rest of their lives. If I may quote Kermit the Frog. Okay. (laughs) Life is full of meetings and partings. And so we should enjoy the time that we spend together in between. And I think much like the Muppets, Final Fantasy X-2 is full of truth. And uh, it's it's a very nice way to cap the story off. Mm -hmm. Did I call Final Fantasy X series the Muppets of the Final Fantasy series? Yes, I did. But it, wow. that's a compliment. <laughs> well, well, the episode's over now. We can go home. Yeah, we're just, we're just done now. Screw. Yep. Oh, can can I got some text down here? Mm. I got some text in the notes. Mm. Something called Final Fantasy X 2.5. Oh, that's a that's a paperweight mm. that I use. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, that has no other function. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read what's what's going on here. It, <laughs> Eric, it's so bad. You're using a light novel as a paperweight yep. set between the good ending and the perfect ending of it's 10 so bad. 2. It's so bad. It, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll say this now. I have two very specific issues with the next two things that we're going to talk about. They're both, mm-hmm. I would, I guess I would say they're equally bad, but they're, they are bad for two very specifically different reasons. Where Will, you know, the audio drama we're going to get to next, uh, is I think just like a complete like tearing down of like a story that you've written with two games 
so you can just basically start it over. 2.5 is the most pulled out of your ass because you were bored, kind of new context and new new content, I guess, that I've ever had to like sit and look at for an extended period of time. And I'm not sure, like, I honestly don't know which one's worse because I feel like the thing that, that I think the thing that most frustrates me about uh, uh, 2.5 here is that they put it in between those two endings. Yes. And then by extension, kind of like put a cloud over what I thought was like a pretty, again, perfect ending to tend to. Like, mm-hmm. like from the conversation that Yuna and Teams were having to like the imagery of like having Yuna standing in that spot and that be like the final shot of the game. Like, it was just kind of perfect. And now they've added this whole new fucking layer that just makes it fucking terrible. So, like, kind of horrifying. I'm going to put some spicy takes out here. Okay. One that Ken might be unhappy with me about. Oh, my God. No, don't worry too much. At least with when we get to Will, I can understand by looking back at last mission and 10-2 and 10 I can understand the direction that was that that was you know intended I can see some lingering threads and some plot ideas that okay if they were to do I'm sure we will end the podcast talking about this if they were to do another entry in the 10 series this is how they could begin to expand on these ideas and maybe move these characters forward. I do think that there is potential for exploring some ideas. And that is me giving, honestly, a lot of generosity to the text because there are aspects of that text that I think are just absolutely bonkers bizarre. However, I do not think Will is as bad as 2.5 2.5 might be the worst thing in the world <laughs> it is it is fan fiction and in the baddest of bad fan fiction it is that, that is like an insult to fan fiction yes yeah to i be have clear, read some bad fan fiction i know yeah i have i have read terror i have i told this story on the podcast yet about how i once read a fan fiction that I thought was the leaked script for Star Wars Episode Three, and I don't remember. It if you, took you. You told me the story. I don't remember if you told him the podcast or not. Well, the, the short version is that it was a bad fan fiction that someone had written, in which it's and multiple times heavily implied that Obi Wan is actually the father of Luke Skywalker and not Anakin Skywalker, and it took me so long into reading this honestly terrible fan fiction in which I'm pretty sure I remember someone in it talking with a New York or Boston accent or something like it's just a very out of place accent for for a character like having a lot of uh a I'm walking here sort of things (laughs) in the script and yet it took me way too long into that script to realize I was not reading a legitimate leak script I was very young at the time (laughs) but I was young and gullible and on the internet uh And even that somehow might surpass 2.5, which is, let's, let's get into it, Ken. Let's just start talking about it. Let's, let's, let's eat our vegetables and then we can roast them. Uh, Because that's how you cook. (laughs) Uh, 
2.5 takes place, as we said, between... Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Uh, I feel like we need to put that qualifier on this, because I gotta... I mean, like, not to, to burn pod for later. I will be very surprised if any of this is the basis of a, of a possible 10-3. It, it feels almost written to be as non-canonical as possible. <laughs> and we will get to that as well, but... It, it picks up right after the reunion on the beach of Titus and Yuna. Everybody heads back to Besaid Village. They're all having a good time. Titus gets to meet Vidina, and, and they're all talking and hanging out. They're filling Titus in on what happened while he was gone, and, oh, the Besaid Oryx suck at Blitzball and all that. And Yuna is, is uh, doing a bunch of stuff over the temple and talking with the elders, and here's where one of the weirder threads of this whole thing starts to pick up is that Lulu's like, hey, Titus, you should you should leave Yuna alone right now. And then Riku starts talking to Titus, introduces him to pain and all that. And and Titus starts kind of glancing over at Yuna and and Riku starts getting annoyed and is like, you're different. Uh, like you, you don't you look the same, but you're not the lighthearted Titus you were before. And. Uh, you know, they start talking about all the different things that they were doing, the sphere hunting and, and how they were all doing this to try and uh, find Titus. And they fought Vegna gun and, and they dealt with all the different factions and they brought Titus back with the help of the faith. And meanwhile, Waka and Titus are, are talking blitz ball and Waka tries to confirm that he is real and not an unsent. Uh, so, you know, knocking that one out pretty early that he's not unsent uh besides become pretty good it's 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 been prospering you you would imagine that as tourism picks up in in spira that besaid would eventually have that it's both an island which is not unique for spira there are multiple places that are very island-like but uh besaid is also the home of yuna and so here we've got the the summoner that that killed sin and you can come see where she grew up and lived and all that uh and waka goes to the beach to practice blitzball and shows off their boat to titus uh and and they've got the trophy from the time they won the tournament so in this i guess winning the tournament is canonical <laughs> in, in here um titus meets briar uh, someone dispatched from Bavel to work as a priest at the Besaid Temple. So we've still got people from Bavel going to the temples, working at the temples. And Briar notices that Titus is from the Xanarkand, the old Xanarkand. Uh, so Titus gets back to the village, and Yuna's still with the elders. Um, you know, they've been waiting around for her to get back from the old Gullwing's adventure. And uh, due to kind of you know, we touched on this in i forgot what it's called at this point the the eternal calm uh the the one between 10 and 10 2 yeah. uh that even as things have kind of changed and yevin was obviously exposed for what it was and all that yuna has kind of just served as a comforting presence to the people to the elderly who who were very set in their ways and they probably feel very uncertain now that kind of their guiding, you know, their North Star has disappeared. So they found a new one in, in Yuna. And Yuna is kind of a comforting presence for them. What so they're very to happy to have her back. About? What's up? What happened to the quiet life that she was talking about? 
I know, right? Again, <laughs> like, like, I mean, Getting again, harassed by we, old people all day. <laughs> it, it's like something that we're gonna. I think I'm gonna harp on a lot. It's like, ten two works as well as it does as a continuation of the story of ten because mm-hmm. it fits neatly into the gaps of that story. Where this, or again, it feels like you're just saying shit. You're just mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's at this point. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here again. These are not on the 10 and 10.2 remaster, correct? No, this was something that was only um, only released in Japan. And so I, like, feel, people had... I feel like there's significance there <laughs> that they decided yeah, that to they, not no, get these on the They were like, maybe we won't, we won't let the rest of the world see this. Yeah, yeah. They, they were like, what can we get on the disc? We still got some space. And they're like, oh, we could put... 2.5 on there and everyone's like oh maybe we just uncompress some of the cutscenes or whatever you know like, <laughs> maybe leave some open space maybe people want to store some cat pictures on there or something you never know <laughs> um so summoners once upon a time many years ago used to live on Visade during the time of the machina war um and and summoners you know as we have learned through various lore things in the past, uh, with with Macon and all that, summoners were a part of the war between Bevel and Xanarkand way back in the day. You know, summoners were kind of soldiers in the war, obviously because they could summon giant monsters. It's a good fighter, and so summoners took the name of a god. And once they died or became unsent, they gave up that name, reverted to their original name with another succeeding to the god's name. Uh, this is important because <laughs> I, we're working through some lore here. <laughs> I'm, I'm running, to be clear, I'm running down the fandom wiki because this is probably one of the better ways of getting all this information nowadays because I don't think there's an official translation of 2.5. Nope. I think it's all just fan translations, yep. and I tried reading some of the fan translation for 2.5 and hated myself, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> This is honestly the best ways to read. And it's probably the not the translator's fault. It's probably the content's fault. It's the content's fault. <laughs> um, we also get some background on uh, the Bedore, uh, which is the original name for the all-bed race, who are treated as the lowest class in society, worked in the factories. So here we get some of the Machina, like like how Albed and Machina became so closely intertwined. Uh, although they were sometimes blamed for worsening the war because they brought the Machina out in the first place. And the name was changed to Albed by Yevin, uh, which Briar at this point speculates uh, the name Albed was easier to make fun of. Go figure. You're just saying shit. Uh, just saying just, shit. <laughs> like, that's like a... That almost feels like, okay, like to, to bring this to like a game, another game that we talked about on this show. Like That feels like the, the soulless reveal where he tells... Like a, a female elf that's romancing him about like the the tattoos that they have, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. the thing that you've like worn proudly as like you know, as like you know a signifier of your culture is actually something people put on you to oppress you. You just say mm-hmm. shit like you don't, and like that's 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 speculation in this book. And so I'm like, but but why did you say it then? Why did you? Yeah. Why do you bring this up eleven years after you finished the story? And just you're just saying shit because you're bored yep. and because you can we we also get the idea of fake bedore who were robotic bedore created uh to help fight the war and they wore uh 
yellow suits and goggles. It's, there's there's a lot of just weird lore about this because we also get some background about mages and assassins from Xanarkand who evaded Besaid at one point. Uh, and they carried bombs that resembled blitz balls to eliminate summoners with. Put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> but don't kick it. Whatever you do, don't kick it. <laughs> um, so... A guardian named Velm proud, vowed to protect his, his summoner, Kush, uh, and led his army of soldiers and a group of fake Bedor to fight them. Kush went missing, and Velm searched for her, only to find her unconscious and half-naked with Ifharnal, another summoner, in his bedroom. It, it starts a whole confrontation between them. At this point, I, I legitimately, I think this is when I stopped reading the fan translation because I was like, what the heck is going on at this point? I don't understand where this light novel is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they they start fighting. Uh, God, a fake Vidor entered and slapped Kush to wake her up. <laughs> A second fake Midor with a gun enters the room and kills Velm, and Kush, now traumatized, refuses to send him to the far plane, which Velm interprets as her saying, like, become a fiend, like, you know, I hate you and all that, you deserve this, um... And, uh, it's later revealed that Velm wanted to become an Aeon, essentially, for Kush, by giving up his life, but was unable to achieve this due to being killed by a fake Bedore, uh, which which just, you know, made him angry and hate them. Uh, and then Ifarnal reveals that Kush had loved Velm and did not wish for him to become an Aeon. So she wanted uh, Ifarnal to become an Aeon instead so that Velm could live free and leave the island for a better life. Uh, yeah, so that is... A history lesson. A history lesson that just takes place in the middle of all this. That will... Does it become important? I don't think it becomes important, does it? I can't I mean, remember. It, it it does in that, like... That, yeah. This, yeah, let's okay. keep going. Yeah, it later becomes a thing, right? This is how yeah. they circle back around to that. Okay. Yeah. God, I... This is They so have bad. to explain why Tina's will think of what's... Think of fucking bomb with a lip ball. Yeah, let's get into that. Uh, th- so the Gullwing's airship breaks down, and, and Titus hears that Yuna has gone missing, and a storm is coming to Besaid. So he goes searching for her, and uh, he gets on the boat, uh, and and is uh, looking, sets out to look for her, but falls asleep in the cabin. This is also just the decisions being made by characters in this entire story just are, are baffling at, at every turn. <laughs> like things just happen so that other things can happen. Right. Every, with no every, rhyme or reason. <laughs> every decision made in this book is a contrivance to yes. lead to exposition of things that they're fucking making up. Mm-hmm. So he wakes up and the, the boat is moving in the darkness with Yuna in the captain's seat dressed in a white robe. Uh, she she tells Titus that the elderly had wanted to hear about her adventures with the Gull Wings, and and she feels very responsible for the collapse of Yevon and their teachings. Uh, Good, that's what she wanted to what, do. Yeah, she feels bad about what it's done to the elderly. Uh, which, I mean, hey, I think that that nugget, that piece, is at least somewhat interesting. It was something that was touched on in Ten Two that. 
oh, the one nice thing about Yevon was it gave a lot of people kind of a basis. And and let's be honest, like some people need that in their lives mm-hmm. for okay, one reason Some people reason don't know not to kill people unless the book tells them to. Exactly. And, and you know what? Like Yuna being like, oh, wow, these these elderly really depended on that and and now they're feeling very lost and i feel responsible for that that's at least those are emotions ken we can work through those we can deal with those we can and for we whatever can... it's worth like that's that's a yuna thing to like put on herself like yes any yes. distress that she feels like she has inadvertently caused to somebody would bother her uh anyways titas disagrees and they start to argue <laughs> but then they make up and you like i don't ever want to leave you uh they try to get back to Besaid, but get lost at sea and end up shipwrecked on an uninhabited island that resembles Besaid. They end up finding two statues. Uh, one that is is of someone named Luke Lucal Luchel. Uh, I'm gonna call them them lucky. I don't know Luchel, and another that Titus deems kind of looks like Owaka, <laughs> and they both point. <laughs> In a direction that leads them to the area where the Besaid village would be, only they find a dense forest. So now Titus comes up with a theory that, oh, we traveled back in the past. <laughs> mm-hmm. you Fucking think shrugs. Gonna... I, look, at this point, Titus has been alive in, in the real world for all of about maybe a few months. Literally a child at some point, so we gotta <laughs> cut him some slack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this this book sounds like it was written by a child too. So, really, uh, really make Titus yourself insert character. Anyways, time to get to the best part. The best part of the book, Ken. Uh, they explore the forest, hoping to find a clue on how to return home when a ball rolls towards them. <laughs> Titus is like, "Ooh, a blitz ball!" and run towards it, and it blows up and kills Titus. <laughs> They just killed Titus <laughs> with a blitz ball. After all That's that, a bomb. We spent we spent a whole video game trying to bring this man back, <laughs> and then Square's like, "You know, we'll be fucked up. You will be so fucking sick." What if Titus died in front of the only person he loves, doing the one thing he loves? In basically a wily coyote cartoon fashion. <laughs> I I love that at Hold some on, point. I'm, I'm, I'm scheduling a tattoo removal. Hold on. <laughs> at Give some point, someone had to come up with the idea that Titus is going to die because there there's a, there's a story there's an arc that happens here and. <laughs> someone had to suggest the idea i really want to know like chicken and egg situation was the idea to have bombs that were that looked like blitz balls did that come before they decided to kill titus with a blitz ball or did they come up with the idea of bombs that look like blitz balls and say hey you know what would be super messed up <laughs> yuna passes out from the shock of this uh, which, hey, look, me too. <laughs> Relatable. So true, bestie. <laughs> and Yuna dreams of speaking to someone who claims to be a god and questions her about Titus. And Yuna starts saying, like, oh, Titus is this ordinary boy I met on the day I became a summoner, and I fell in love with him during the pilgrimage. And the god 
uses a combination of his power and Eunice's power to bring Titus back, saying, I will now use some of my magic, but it will not be easy. And uh, the god tells Yuna that, oh, I can seal your memories of Titus dying, but I cannot erase them. It's possible they could come back if they were triggered by something happening. Anyway, so Yuna is woken up by Titus, and they're alone in a room with a smell similar to the priest room in the Visay Temple. So, like, like fuck all that that just happened. Yeah, for, <laughs> who cares if they went back in time, ostensibly? <laughs> they make their way out of out into a stone corridor, and it looks like the Besaid Cloister trials only different in pattern and design. Uh, they come across statues of the gods that people worship before the time of Ye- of Yevon, and they find that they're statues of Kush, the goddess of food and shelter, Velm, the god of safety, Sloan, the god of quenching regret, Arb, the god of knowledge. Luchel, the god of war, and Kanela, the goddess of protection for darkness, Mayo, the goddess of light, and Guarado, the, the god of rest. Uh, Sloan got the fucking short on the stick there. That is very specific. Quenching regret. Look, I, I mean, but come on. Like, have you never had those moments when you're I'm going to, to relieve you of the burden of any responsibility. R- remember, like, you walk up to Sloane and and she, and she's like, or he, uh, Sloane is the god of quenching regret. And Sloane's like, yo, you know all those times that you're trying to fall asleep at four in the morning. You remember something really embarrassing you did a long like two decades ago. It's gone now. Sloane, oh. honestly, whoa, actually very M- powerful. MVP, MVP. When you put it that way, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arguably, Kanela, the goddess of protection from darkness, would fall under that category as well. <laughs> but, um, they start looking for the faith and don't really find anything. So they leave the temple and they come across a frail woman called Kush from Bevel. She's oh, not the goddess. Yeah, she's not the goddess from the statue, but she had borrowed that name. And uh, she talks about summoners and the war and the Bedor. And asks you and Titus uh, what the shining star in the night sky is called. And, and Titus answers the Blitz star, and Yuna says Nightberry. Cush uh, says both are incorrect. And the correct answer is the Eye of Henri. And Yuna says this is a different word, and this is a different world. Okay, we figured it out. We're in a different place. And Cush turns into fireflies. <laughs> cool. Things are just Bye. happening at this point. Throw a dart at the dartboard, baby. Let's go. <laughs> uh, Yuna then senses the presence of another summoner and tells Titus, we got to find him. We got to get back home. Uh, and Titus is like, no, nah, I sense danger. We got to get out of here. Uh, Yuna hesitates, fearing that Titus will also disappear and turn into fireflies. Uh Yuna has Why? a vision of Kush in the for- in the forest with her guardian Velm, and hears the voice of the summoner she is searching for, but is told that she must be killed by Titus if they wish to return home together. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, dear listener at home, what the hell is going on, and who approved this? And let me tell you that the Quiet Man was indeed published by Square Enix, so mm-hmm. anything can happen. <laughs> and, uh, well, back in the being made. Back in Visade, Waka and the villagers search for the missing Yuna and Titus, as well as the boat, uh, 
all they get back is the Oryx trophy. That's all they find. Uh, Briar is is aiding in the search. Remember Briar, our our man of few. Literally words. no. Yeah, <laughs> our man of few words from Pavel. No, I do not. Uh, when Lulu comes up, is like, hey, why'd you come to Besaid? What are you here for? What's going on? You're new. I don't like you. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, I'm here because, you know, there were thefts in the temple and the elderly needed help with their chores. And Lulu claims she had witnessed people transform into fiends by the ruins while shouting out Briar, Briar. Briar is saying no. They're, they're saying boo urns. <laughs> Briar denies it. Uh, you misheard it, uh, but but it's true. It's true. Uh, so later that night, Briar ponders his past and the phenomenon of people turning into fiends. Uh, he mentions not seeing the fiend of a certain Yevon priest to whom he had once made a promise and looks up to the sky saying, that is not the eye of Henri, but Nightberry. Briar had a wife named Miro, who was killed by Yevon soldiers, and a daughter called Luchel, who was requested to change her name to Mora by a priest before being married off. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, Eric, what the hell are you talking about? What happened with Yuna and Titus? What are we, why are we going back into more backstory? Clearly, this will mean something, to which I tell you, no, dear reader, this doesn't mean shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? It, mm, keep going. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I just... Oh, keep going. He, he runs into Buddy, Brother, Riku, and Shinra and gets irritated hearing them speak Albed. Good. Oh, That's what back. Ted needed is another racist. Waka, Waka was so close to the light side of the force. <laughs> um, upon seeing Shinra, he shouts out, What the hell is a Bedora doing here? And attempts to attack Shinra. So not only a racist, but a violent racist. <laughs> and then gets knocked out by pain and tied up in Bisaid Temple. Briar begins to remember his past. He is truly Kush's guardian, Velm, and witnesses a Bedore slapping Kush awake before being shot by another fake Bedore. So that's why he hates them, is he watched one slap his crush and another one shoot him. <laughs> so he hates Bedore now. Mm. God, this is so bad. This is so bad. <laughs> I've seen direct-to-TV movies better than this. <laughs> um, Shinra starts questioning Briar about Bedor, and so Briar explains the origins of the Albed. He tricks Shinra into releasing him by promising to repair their airship and then knocks Shinra out. So now we've got a racist who knocked out a child. <laughs> so we're really cooking now. Briar realizes he is an unsent and now acknowledges that he does not have much time left. So back in the other world, back in the Eye of Henri world, uh, Yuna and Titus, uh, Yuna tells Titus she wants to be alone for a little while and goes for a walk, but but does not come back. Um, Titus is looking at Luchil's statue and Kush appears and explains she is a Jushin, which is Aeon, essentially. She makes a bargain with him to grant him the power to return to his world as long as he finds the Kush in his world and, so true. Kills, and kills her for both him and Yuna to return together. 
once again, Final Fantasy X-3, the search for Kush is going to happen. Tienis <laughs> <laughs> oh does not understand. And, tells, and she tells him a man called Briar will know. And she grants him a power that allows Titus to return by imagining his destination and running. So Titus returns to the Besaid of his world. I'm sorry. So, I, I, just, I think I blacked out. Did he kill Kush or not? No, he has not killed. The, the, so he went. He, he went back without the having power. to do anything. He's been given the power to return to his world, and if he wants to bring both Yuna and Titus back, he's got to go kill Kush. Mm. <laughs> okay. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, so so. Keep in mind, dear listener, we are now working with two different universes. In, in kind of parallel and a gate between them. And remember, Titus can move between them now with the power of an Aeon, but only if he pictures his destination and starts running. It works which could the same a, way Sonic's rings do in the Sonic movies. Which, to be fair, uh, is the sort of bullheaded thing that Titus would absolutely be phenomenal at. But also, Titus should probably check the runway for any blitz balls before he does so. And messes <laughs> this up yet again. Um, but he doesn't remember. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, remember that he died. Yeah, yeah. So really, that's just another accident. So meanwhile, Yuna's gonna be the ones that gets traumatized every time a fucking blitz ball rolls in their well, direction. Yuna, Yuna has her memories sealed. They will only. She will only remember them if if something triggers them. And what are the odds that she's ever gonna see Titus near a blitz ball again? Mm, like basically mm, none. Mm. So. <laughs> Yuna, still in the other world, is thinking about her time spent with Tita so far and how she wants them to understand each other's suffering. Okay, here we go. There's something. Now we're we're cooking. This is good material. Yuna's gone through a lot. Titus has gone through a lot. They've both been through a lot. In the past few days, they went to a different world and Yuna saw Titus die. They got to work through some stuff, but they're having trouble getting there. Okay, we're, we're, we're cooking here. We're cooking, all right? Yuna remembers what the god in her dream told her. Okay, we threw it all away. Fuck that. <laughs> and about how he wants a certain girl killed. But she's reluctant to tell Titus about it as she knows he would carry out the order for her sake. So she runs into Kush, standing at the altar, who tells her about the summoner Ifarnal from 1,000 years ago, who was the one who appeared in her dream and helped bring back Titus. Ifarnal's real name is Joyce, born in a place called Maruka, otherwise known as Luca in Yuna's world. Kush asks about Yuna's feelings for Titus, to which she replies that being with him was somewhat painful, and Kush explains that Titus had understood her desire to be alone, an understanding of which Kush herself envies. So now Yuna spots the names of the gods carved on the stone and the guardians who adopted their names. Uh, begins to make a bunch of connections here with a bunch of names. Don't worry about them. I'm not going to read them all off. So Kush makes a deal with Yuna now, saying that she will bring her to Ifarnal, provided that Yuna does not send her to the far plane before shining brightly and dispersing into pyreflies. I have no fucking clue what's happening in this story there anymore, are so to be many, honest too with many, you. Too many proper nouns. Yep, yep. Uh, Yuna is now on a rusty boat with a skinny old man with long white hair. Who is Ifarnal, now known as Joyt? Uh, he's no longer muscular or, or hot, and the name of Farnal or God of Beauty is no longer appropriate for him. Man, just really roasting wow, Joyt fucking... out here. You, must, like, you, you hate the characters you made so much, maybe there's a problem. 
Damn, so he's like 35 then, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> fresh, fresh out of like a, a, being a super senior in college. Uh, he tells her about the faith and that while in Yuna's world, they were created for Unalesca, uh, they were created by Unalesca for summoners to fight sin. The faith during the Machina War were created by the summoners themselves with the help of someone they shared deep feelings with. Uh, so he wait what that that's that's how okay i mean i kind of get the idea but basically he's saying y'all had unalesca to make this stuff for you but we had to make them ourselves during the machina war okay following this kind of basically confirming that like unalesca was using a ritual of of the olden days to make the final aeon so I guess by extension, the final Aeon was just a proper, like, made Aeon from the days of the Machina War. Am, 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 am I, like, yeah, I mean, spitting in the ballpark that, that here? That sound about right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, if Farnal shows Yuna a scene and, and apologizes, saying there are easier ways to make faith, uh, I, I'm guessing that if Farnal probably flashed back to uh, him and Kush uh way back when mm, mm. Uh, there are easier ways to make a faith though you don't gotta you don't gotta do the down nasty you, this isn't dragon age origins <laughs> so uh the summoner and faith must share a mutual sympathy to sh- to summon an aeon something which joy says he was not able to do adequately and uh the island she was on you know was on was summoned by him created with the use of an uncountable number of faith so she was on a summoned island, apparently. I, just, I got no idea. Um, and uh, here's where we're going to get really weird. If we weren't weird enough, if Farnold tells Yuna to go down into the cabin and it smells of dead bodies and inside is a chocobo surrounded by pyreflies, which is another summon, and there are four fake Bador down there holding a blitz ball the, similar to the one that blew up Titus Titus sorry I was doing so well Damn, for so yeah. long. I know right <laughs> I, I thought by the time we got to the last episode of the season you would have unlearned that no no mm-hmm. I still I still feel it I just do it intentionally because that's what that's what friends do for each other mm. you know that's 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 what we do for each other mm. Joyt explains that along with him, they'd escaped the island during the war on the boat, but ended up having to come back after a week because there were too many foes at sea. By the time the war had settled and the era of temples in Yevon began, there was a mass extinction uh, execution of the Bedor. So they, they kind of stayed away. Um, and Yuna's uh, like, is this boat real? At the, like what's real at this point and joy it's like oh the boat must be real because you know i stopped the summon i can't i i have a bad bonding with the faith at this point so yuna runs outside realizing oh we must have gone back to the besaid of my world then sure you know i'm glad someone's following logic here i'm not <laughs> so a mass of fireflies gathers to form briar who yuna remembers as the man that was dispatched from bevel to besaid this is this is we see briar again Joyt and Briar know each other as they were Ifarnal and Velm, right? This is... Okay. Connect the characters. Ifarnal and Velmir. And they start arguing again. Uh, and, and Ifarnal's like... Uh, or Velm's like, you betrayed Kush by by using her as, as a Jushin, as, as an Aeon. And Ifarnal's like, oh, 
Bedore eliminate Briar using the Blitz Bomb, which misses and rolls towards Joy. <laughs> These bombs are really bad. <laughs> Inefficient. That's why I don't use them anymore. And, and Joy tells Briar how Cush loved him and grieved greatly to the point of her own deterioration before the ball explodes with Joy vanishing into Pyreflies. So Joy's like, get him, boys, and the boys roll the ball the wrong way and blow him up. <laughs> Maybe this is all one giant effort to create physical comedy using exploding blitz balls, mm-hmm. which I can at least respect. <laughs> I mean, I'll never look at a blitz ball the same way again. Neither will Titus mm. <laughs> or Yuna. Um, Sorry to our our <laughs> podcast artwork that has one of those on the table. Uh, Briar starts asking where Kush is. Yuna is like, no, nah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell you anything. And Briar realizes the reason he's able to exist is because he was beckoned by Kush's feeling, which uh, he deems is like proof that she's alive and safe. Uh, Yuna tries to whistle, believing Titus will come running, but hesitates. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Titus is back in Besaid Village, and everyone's interrogating him about Yuna's whereabouts. Titus is trying to explain that they got to bring Yuna back, and uh, we got to find Briar. We I made a deal. We got to find Briar so we can find Kush, and uh, the village starts uh, searching everywhere looking for for Briar. And Tius remembers that Briar had told him about his main reason for coming to Besaid, to fulfill a promise he made to a priest to research the ruins and Machina on Besaid and file a report to Bevel. Uh, so Titus now remembers the power that, that he has from Kush and, and starts running off, leaving Waka and the rest of the villagers very confused. And meanwhile, Titus is trying to picture Yuna. You know, here's good thought from Titus. You know, picture Yuna and run. And maybe I'll teleport there, which he does. And he, he finds her at the beach. And Titus is is about to explain everything. You know, he, he starts to explain it all. He talks about Kush and the power and how he must find her. And they end up using the power to find a frail Kush sitting in a chair. And Yuna's like, oh, she's just a beckoning. Um, which I'm, I'm assuming is kind of like a summon as well. Uh, Briar appears, relieved to reunite with Kush, and thanks Titus and Yuna for helping them meet, uh, and they disappear together. So it's kind of the ending to tend to with Shuyin and Len. With Kush gone, the power she had granted Titus vanishes, and they both return to Besaid. At this point, Titus and Yuna travel to Xanarkins by foot, because the airship is still not working, they stand on the spot where they once had the bonfire during the pilgrimage, and Yuna asks Titus if he's real and not just a dream, and that's where, theoretically, we lead into the perfect ending of Tentu. Ken, there, why? So, there's <laughs> one, like, significant thing that this bullshit talks about called beckoning. And that is a name being given to what happens when people see people in the far plane. Mm, like mm-hmm. that is okay. Okay. That like they, they gave that phenomenon a name in this. That's um, good. That's the extent of like where any of this really comes into play. Because like now, like, you know, the, the new, the perfect ending of Tenshu suddenly has this very fucking weird context to it. Now this, mm-hmm bordering on like nefarious to me that like 
Yuna's like just not talking to the dude about that he apparently fucking died, and it's just like, oh, well, it's gonna we're gonna be together forever, but I'm gonna push you off of cliff just because like, we're talking about the faith who we've not talked about like for, for any of this. Like that thing is like it's it's disconnected from the game that it's supposed to slot into, but it also is just like completely meaningless and like doesn't add anything to anything. It's just like this. We, like, again, it's like this weird little twisting of the knife. Like, oh, that thing that you thought was like actually like a really sweet scene of between Yuna and Tina has a sudden like undertone to it now that's gross and weird. And you know, they dragged these characters and killed one of them through in through, through this interdimensional time traveling bullshit in a way that doesn't. I don't feel like it helped my, like, it didn't, my understanding of this world and these characters did not grow at all because it, does, it feels completely detached from them, except yeah. in name. And, it, it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, it's worth mentioning, too, that this, this story, and granted, I only read a few of it, I read as much of it as I could get through before having to just turn to, to a summary of it because it's also, like, weirdly violent and yeah. aggressive in a way that 10 never really has been. And I'm all for, like, you know, 10 and 10 too had their moments of just sheer horror. Mm-hmm. And we talked about like the den of woe and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this novel especially is like a little bit mean in the way it approaches it. Yeah. They had the whole scene about, Oh, here comes Velm and, and he sees his, you know, his, his crush basically post coitus with another person and then gets shot and becomes a hugely violent racist because of it. And like that's a really bizarre plot line <laughs> for for the story to take. Yeah. And then we have all this stuff about people blowing up, and and even just like the general idea of how faith. I, I, I like the idea of trying to explore some of the Machina War and and some of that stuff. I like those parts that we had from Macon and Tentu that were touching on the ancient lore of Xanarkand and Bavel at war. That's a cool idea, and I dig that. But this is just so messy and all over the place and using different worlds and magic teleportation magic and, and just things that feel incongruous with what final fantasy 10 is by nature. And it's not like these are sacred texts that have to be adhered to, but they just feel so out of character as if they were written by somebody else. And that's kind of the thing that I keep coming away from being surprised is, is that this was written by the scenario writer uh, for Ten and Ten Two, and like right. Nojima? I don't know if you're just having a bad day. I don't know what was going on. You know, times are tough. But like, this is like going from. Well, no, I was about to make like a really wild comparison. Like, this is like coming into like from Evangelion episode twelve, and then jumping right into the end of Evangelion. Sure, sure. In terms of like uh, a tonal shift. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, like, I I don't want to turn this into an Evangelion spoiler cast, but <laughs> I, I think there are times in which you can have your characters cause violence to each other in order to express something, and I don't think that's ever employed well here. No. And I I don't think that... Like this is not an interesting conflict. It's it's barely a right. followable conflict. That's <laughs> and that's like I think my ultimate feeling. Like a lot of it feels like I put in my notes. Like it feels like the guy square just got like high as a kite, and then like you know what we real fucked up, and then just wrote it down and published it. And like it's it's meaningless 
in like doesn't feel grounded in the like the world of spirit in any way in a way that honestly is like not even interesting to talk about like because like yes. for yes yeah for will like to will's credit it is bad in a way that i think is interesting to talk about and i think mm-hmm. it's very yeah. emblematic yeah. of like the problems of square revisiting things years after the fact in with like i guess it's, it's more the lens in which it views its works through a modern lens um where this is just like it's it's nothing. It's like, it is a, you set a bunch of proper nouns, a couple of which were character names I recognized, and then you published it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels like they took the, the story idea of Shuyin and Len, because ultimately when you boil down 2.5, it is basically the story of Shuyin and Len mm-hmm. again, but just more angry and, mm-hmm. and violent. And, With like no <laughs> real like silver lining. And then Professor like bumped the the giant vial labeled Albed racism and dumped it into the pot <laughs> for some reason. Like <laughs> we didn't even really touch on that. Like there's all this weird like new context about like why the Albed exists as a culture they do. And it, like, we didn't really touch on it like in the, the summary, but like there's some stuff in here about like the Albed language came because like people in like Yevon didn't like to hear them speaking English. So they had to like come up with a new language, otherwise they would get like hate crimes. Mm-hmm. So they sat down and they were like, you know what, Ten and Ten Two didn't have enough of racial discrimination against the Albed. We really need to up up the pot in this next one. <laughs> oh. I don't know. I just I and it's like an important thing to like bring up is this is widely regarded as like terrible. Like yes. this is like not this is not a thing of like we have our, like, opinions about, like, why we didn't like... This is, like, broadly the sentiment around this is negative. There is... I have not been able to find a single instance of a single person defending this work. And this is only speculation, but I think it does speak volumes that when Square Enix tasked with uh, putting together a comprehensive collection of the 10 series did not include any form of this whatsoever. <laughs> like, you would not know this existed if you didn't go looking for it. And you know what? You'd be better for it, but here at Normandy FM, we are dedicated to the craft. We are dedicated to the comprehensive and holistic retrospective. And that means we gotta deal with the ugly shit, too. We, mm-hmm. gotta, we gotta dig into it, because I think it is important. I think it is important to understanding not just Final Fantasy X as a complete work, but understanding, honestly, as, as you've been saying, Ken, Square Enix at this point, because I do feel like we can use Ten as a microcosm mm-hmm. of the larger efforts to explain things in the Final Fantasy universe that don't... E- I don't even think this is just a Final Fantasy thing. I could levy some of this against Kingdom Hearts as well. Yeah. Although I think Kingdom Hearts is not necessarily as, as much of an... Nothing is as much of an aggressor as this is. <laughs> um, I do think there is a constant need to... And I want to specify this towards 2.5 specifically, to backfill, to suddenly go like, oh, you know what we needed? We needed to really explain more mm. things in this universe. And, and you didn't. It's it's I, I I talk about it a lot. It's the Wikipediafication of gaming. Like mm-hmm. there is this weird desire in and not even just in gaming, but in entertainment media for everything to just be able to interlink and intersect in cool tidbits. And you could put together a 
a YouTube video about did you know, and this mm-hmm. is not a slight against did you know gaming. <laughs> this is uh, this is me talking about like how whenever a new MCU movie comes out, there's always 12,000 YouTube movies. They're just about, oh, they put a thing here, which is a reference to this thing here. And can I understand a little bit now about why you hate the Shinra thing? <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not fully there with you. I think in that one isolated incident, it's, it's whatever, but definitely I am now team on a broader scale. This is a problem. Mm. And Let's move on to Will, because Will is the other half of this coin, I think. 2.5 is the effort to backfill and add lore entries and and trivia and and curiosities to a universe. Will is... What's A failure to. Yes, a failure to. A failure to. Uh, Will is the effort to pave runway for potential future sequels without paving too much runway for potential future sequels. Ironically even, enough, I think I think part of my problem with Will is it doesn't go far enough. I think it doesn't do enough to do this. And I do think there are problems I have in text of just getting characters all kinds of weird and wrong and all that. We will get to that. But I do think Will is annoyingly structured to create this new sequence of events that will happen that are potentially could be followed up on but just in case it never happens it also kind of like plays it safe a little bit holds back and it ends up just feeling like a whole bunch of nothing because of it i don't even i mean i I, i'm caught in a weird place because like i think there is like i think it gives probably more than even the eternal calm movie did because just like in, in terms of like the actual glut of what it's talking about but I also don't think that, like, the things that it proposed are anywhere near as interesting as what Eternal Calm mm-hmm. was. And, like, as succinct, okay. I think, okay. as Eternal Calm. Because, mm-hmm. like, Eternal Calm, like, I think it did, rel- like, you know, again, like, comparatively speaking, like, it, it felt like that could have ostensibly have been left on an ambiguous note, even though I don't think it... I don't know. Like, it's a weird thing. Like, we talk about, like, leaving things on an ambiguous note, but I think... I think there's, like, a, d- a distinct difference between, like, leaving something ambiguous, like, the original ending intended, where, like, you know, you see Titus swimming up, and what we would eventually see was him swimming out to the shore of Poseid, um, and then, like, le- like creating a conflict that requires resolution, because that's what I feel like Will does, but also, like, it's the conflict that I think is just completely fucking stupid, and, did like, ignores the arc of the universe of Final Fantasy X in a way that feels... Weirdly, like, I, I, pandering's not really the word I want to use, but it kind of is about as close as I get, because like, it's about paying tribute to, like, the iconography of Final Fantasy X more than anything else. More than caring about, like, what these actual, like, these symbols and these concepts in this universe actually mean. Mm. They're just like, oh, mm. you know, we're, and I think that's actually kind of, like, the, uh, the reason that they've given for, like, why they made this is that, like, why they brought back certain things like Sin, and that, like, a lot of it is they are... I want to see if I can find a direct quote. I don't think I... I don't have one on the wiki. But that was kind of like the, the sentiment, is that they were like, we're paying tribute to... Like, what is the baseline... It, what are like the baseline most important components of the Final Fantasy X story, and how can we kind of like pay tribute to them in a way... While also in the, mean, in the fucking meantime, making like an entire conflict that could ostensibly lead into a game. Mm-hmm. 
I don't fucking know. That, that's kind of what I'm saying is like they they bring it up to a point where it either could just be left off forever or they could make another game. And there is a clear setup for a 10-3 at the end of this. But I think the other frustration I have with it is that a lot of characters feel very arbitrarily placed into mm-hmm. where they end up being. And in a way that almost obviously makes the audience want to know what happened, want to delve into some of this that could theoretically be interesting in a 10-3. But that's why I say like I think it just stops short. And so a lot of the things that I wanted to see explored by the text go unexplored so that way if they want to explore it later they can do so and i i I don't like that sort of elongation of story again that's like that specifically is actually a thing i have with kingdom hearts where uh it feels like those games will i i've i've said in the past that a lot of kingdom hearts games between two and three with maybe the exception of birth by sleep uh feel like a lot of story at the beginning and a lot of story at the end and a lot of nothing in the middle. Mm. And that's very frustrating to players because they end up having to play essentially a 40 hour RPG to get two hours of story. Uh, Like the story that they are ostensibly looking for, if they don't just want to play more kingdom hearts. And I, that's kind of what this feels like to me. It feels like a, a little, a little sliver, a story, a little, a little shaving, a little, parmesan grading of story that could lead into something else but could also not and let's get into it because thankfully will is shorter that is the blessing of this is that well will is shorter than 2.5 2.5 was even longer than i remembered it being going into this um and and before we get started let's introduce some characters because i think it'll be easier up front most of the characters we're working with are characters that we know excellent we love this Titus, legendary Blitzball star, brought back from the dead multiple times. Unbeknownst uh, him. Unbeknownst him. Uh, fun fact, Titus is now living in the Vel. Put a pen in that. Yuna, high summoner who defeated Sin, brought back the brought the eternal column, I should say. Uh, she lives in Besaid. And she's now a priestess serving as an advisor to the Yeveners. Oh, what? She is a priestess. <laughs> so New Yevon has been transformed into a council. And basically, the idea, as, as we are led to understand it, is that Yeveners practice the moral teachings of Yevon while also accepting others. And so it, it's basically them being like, we're not trying to control people through the teachings. As, as Waka explains it, Yeveners aren't trying to control the world through the teachings like the old temples did. They're just trying to support a moral good that then could be helpful to some people who need a guiding star. Now, in in theory, I don't hate this idea. What I extremely dislike is Yuna being a priestess in it like, because that feels like a complete regression of her character <laughs> and it's not even just like and we'll, we'll get to it when we get to like this recapping shit like it's not even just a matter of like she is like a person who is kind of like consulting on how the, like 
these things are integrated into the world, like, you know, how the temples are going to be used or anything like that. She is, like, in this shit. She is praying at a certain point in this. Like, mm-hmm. she is praying mm-hmm. to a god that she does not believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Wh- that she fucking murdered. Yeah. That's the bizarre part to me. I don't hate the idea of Yuna, especially maybe dealing with feelings that she has of being very responsible. You know, she mm-hmm. destroyed Sin and destroyed Yevon and has put a lot of people in a wayward place. And it would be a very Yuna thing to want to like right. caretake for them. I understand all that. And you can take that in an interesting direction. However, it's specifically when the religion, religion part gets reinvolved, which look to tend to right hundred percent completion in tend to which we can assume is at least some level of you have done the proper thing you've done the right thing is siding against new yevon is siding with the youth league mm-hmm. it's it, it's like completion percentage says yuna would side with the youth league and here she is literally taking part in new new yevon under barrel by the way the chancellor of the spirit council Formerly the Praetor of the of the new Ye- new Yevin group uh, is is now at the top, and so she's working for Barilai essentially, and and Waka is also buying into all this because of course Waka would Waka would absolutely buy into all this. Waka Waka would buy Bitcoin. <laughs> that's th- that's what I'm getting at, <laughs> and not Bitcoin six seven years ago. Bitcoin today. <laughs> and, uh lulu is now the mayor of besaid village so uh, you know lulu gets to do something you know thank god <laughs> um i will say one of the best things about will is that it lets lulu play a more crucial part of the story in a way she did not get to intend to or 2.5 uh so thank god for that mm. for small miracles uh are two new characters we only have two that we really got to work with there might be some others that come up in the in the summary but these are the two core ones chuami is a 17 year old girl who is a member of the spirit council and says she is the daughter of orin yes orin uh who went you know an entire walk through spiro without so much as mentioning it uh-huh uh-huh yeah uh she uh, is her friend Kurgum's assistant, uh, but but really she, she's the narrator and she's kind of the one in charge. Kurgum, meanwhile, is a fellow member of the Spirit Council. He is a sender. So now there are specialists who send the dead to the far plane and he is a sender. Uh, so I kind of like the idea of, hey, you know, the whole system that created summoners who were originally the people that sent other people is gone now. But, like, pyreflies and fiends and stuff like that are still something we have to deal with because that's just a reality of Spira that we live in. So I do like that the Spira Council has been formed and now they have, like, specialists Mm -hmm. that are basically, I mean, kind of coroners, I guess, or something of the like, that, you know, their job is to do this stuff. And I think that's that's cool. Yeah, like, among the various developments that happen in this audio drama that is one of the ones that feels like very natural and grounded within the story yes. that final fantasy yes. 10 has already told like i said will has ideas will tries to think of some neat things uh Kurgum is a huge fan of of yuna and the guardians 
and and he would have even sought to become a summoner, but obviously after the events of Final Fantasy X, that's not really a thing anymore. So he's he's just a sender now. Uh, let's get into the story. Chuami and Kurgum are sent to Besaid by Barilai to meet with Yuna. Uh, along the way, on on the stadium road out of out of Bevel, they meet Titus, a Blitzball star. He's, he's still playing Blitzball, you know. He, he's good. He doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and Chuami notices that he's injured and doesn't really have a lot of energy. You know, Titus isn't up to snuff. You know, he's. He's hit 27 in, in Final Fantasy 10 years, which is basically, you know, he's, he's, he's on death's door. <laughs> <laughs> um, they get to Besaid on their airship, and Chuami and Kurga meet Lulu and Waka, who take them to Yuna, who has returned to all of her mannerisms and even the dressing style. Like, she's basically wearing a summoner's outfit again and spends her time praying for Spira's peace in the temple, which Chuami is very frustrated with. So true, Bestie. Th- Me too. There's there's something interesting. You know what? You know what? That's something interesting. If they're going to make Yuna this way, which they shouldn't, but at least they have the understanding to say, put a character in this place that says, hey, why are you doing this? The hell's going on? Uh, Kurgum goes up to Yuna, and, and we learn the reason why they're there. They have a movie sphere with a recording of two shoe puffs showing up at the moon flow. The shoe puff, apparently in the time since, uh, this is the last of its kind. Shoe puffs have been gradually dying off as, as sin attacks had wiped out their, their existence. But now the shoe puffs are mysteriously reappearing. And now Yuna begins to speculate that the shoe puff had been beckoned. So now we have that 2.5 paying off, baby. Turns out it was necessary mm. to the game. <laughs> there was nothing necessary about that book. Uh, Kurgum tells Yuna that she's got to come back with him and Shuami to Bevel and talk to the Spirit Council. And Yuna's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not doing it. No, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. And you know what, Yuna? Like, good, good, good decision, Yuna. And then Shuami tells her about Titus, meeting Titus and, and the state he was in. And now Yuna's like, okay, you know what? Now I will go. <laughs> and, um, meanwhile, Lulu overhears Chuami mention being Oren's daughter, and Lulu does not take kindly to that. She's like, you don't look like him, and there are a ton of people out there who have claimed to be the children of Oren or Jekt or Braska, uh, and they're all making it up. They're just trying to get clout. I'm not going to have any of that in my village. <laughs> Hell yeah, Lulu. Uh, Chuami's like, no, 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 I take after my mother. And, and she wouldn't have lied. She's my mom. She doesn't lie. <laughs> Lulu says Chuami would remember meeting Oren and that he would have mentioned having children since he isn't the type of person to hide that sort of thing. Oh, so that... one, one thing. One like really clever like tie back mm-hmm. into the games here, I think, is Chuami's mm-hmm. mother doesn't have a name. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Just like Titus. <laughs> oh, hmm. we're going to have to talk about 10-3 in a second. And I just remembered another thing I was going to ask you about 10-3. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it now. Do you think they, they finally give Titus a name in 10-3? Oh, absolutely. Finally I absolutely think that by then they're going to be like... They've done every like spinoff and everything since that he's appeared in. So They've, they've got to do it at this point. They can't not... I mean, could you rename... I. I it has been a long time since I played the original Final Fantasy VII, but could you rename Cloud in that game? Yeah. So I mean, like, they they say his name in this and Will. 
Well, yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying is like in the original Final Fantasy VII, you could rename Cloud theoretically, but then when they did the remake, obviously Cloud is Cloud. Like mm-hmm. you, you play as Cloud. Uh, so yeah, I imagine they did go back to this. I think the era of renaming your JRPG protagonist is is over at this point, honestly, and probably for the better. Uh, as you know, that would that felt like a relic of the days in which you didn't have voice acting mm-hmm. specifically, and now that we have voice acting, you just can't account for everything. So, uh, and also, I don't know, it's nice to have named characters. It's it's easier, uh, but. <laughs> uh, Kurgum and Chuami's airship need some repairs, so uh, those two, plus Yuna and Waka, for some reason, journey to Bavel on foot. Uh, and they stop off at the Moonflow, and they see the shoe puffs and, and a bunch of onlookers uh, who are looking on, but, but mysteriously, a bunch of them are illusions made by pyreflies. Uh, they, they see a father and his daughter with the illusion of her mother, who answers Melu's request for them to go home together, which uh, kind of stuns everybody, since normally these illusions, these beckonings, can't, can't really hear or speak or anything. They're just, you know, they're just kind of mm-hmm. there. You think back to the far plane, right? right. Uh, usually they're just kind of there, but now, you know, they're they're talking, they're right. doing things. Uh, Kurgum tries to send the illusions to the far plane. But uh, Yuna tells him, hey, no, we, we do not have a right to interfere with this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm, I'm half and half. I don't really know if I got feelings about that particular Yuna move. But uh, it's not the worst one that happens. So mm. <laughs> uh, at Bevel, they find out that Sin's back. <laughs> They're just like, oh, hey, um, Sin's been beckoned, so Sin's back now. It's comical to me that they, like, wrote a light novel. Like, they wrote a shitty light novel so they could make an audio drama in which Sin comes back. I... I I don't know. So, we're going to get to some context here about kind of what the the aim was for this after this but um yeah let's put a pin in that <laughs> yuna had previously told Chuami that that titus by the way they they go to meet titus um and yuna is like i gotta go see titus uh and, and yuna had previously told Chuami that titus is her boyfriend but when Chuami and kurgum start to eavesdrop on the conversation between the two it seems like they're breaking up like like they are they're not together really and yuna starts getting jealous about a friend of titus's named marfi um but then it's kind of like i don't care i've got someone else too i'm i'm doing great i moved on and titus is like who is it and he was like you would know them they go to a school like somewhere else you would know them you know (laughs) different place different time um and uh she she kind of leaves storms off a little bit this is where Kurgum and Chuami decide they're gonna split up. It's because Kurgum's fallen in love with Yuna, and Kurgum's like, "I'm gonna shoot my shot. <laughs> this is this is my time." And and Chuami is really very frustrated and and angry with this, but Kurgum's like, "You wouldn't get it. It's a summoner thing. You know, chasing after someone you like is a summoner thing." So, <laughs> at this point, <laughs> the party splits. Chuami and Kurgum part ways. 
Kurgum goes with Yuna and Waka, and Chuami returns to Besaid with Titus. And when Titus uh, asks Lulu about Yuna's new love interest, Lulu's like, Titus, I really thought you would understand Yuna better at this point. Go figure it out yourself, you dolt. Which is like, Lulu, once again, the MVP of the 10 series. <laughs> um, and and uh, Lulu, Lulu says, if something else can be brought back, then Sin's revival shouldn't be surprising. Uh, so Titus figures out the meaning and they depart with Chuami in tow. Uh, so now Lulu, Chuami, and Titus are chasing on the trail of Kurigam, Yuna, and Waka. And uh, Yuna says he wants to accompany Yuna and the others on her new journey since he promised to be with her forever. Meanwhile, Yuna is in a stadium giving a speech saying she will defeat Sin once again. And that is how we end Will. So... so I have a question so, for you as a person mm-hmm. who has like been exposed to Will more recently. What is your reading on the development between I, I guess Yuna breaking up with Titus and I th- uh, so so is it specifically the breakup or, or also like what Lulu says to Both. Titus? Okay. I, they're connected. So this is why I say that I think Will could be touching on interesting subject matter because you know yuna and titus fell in love on the pilgrimage right and it's very much one of those relationships you know almost call it summer love right like they are together they're doing everything together they're around each other all the time this is very much like a a first love situation for at least yuna it seems uh and titus you know who knows how dream faith world works and all that uh, but Titus is, is also very infatuated with, with Yuna. And I think it's interesting the idea that, okay, they had the happy fairy tale ending at the end of Ten Two, right? Have you seen the movie The Graduate? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, the Graduate, famous movie where uh, I, the main character is going to marry this, this girl and, and settle into a life and then ends up... Uh, being seduced by an older woman and there's there's a whole bunch of scenes i guarantee you you've probably seen scenes that are inspired by scenes from this movie but there's the the final scene of the movie is very interesting because the two main characters the the guy and, and the initial love interest resolve to get married and and live together and they run away all happy and they get on a bus and they as they're like pulling away it, the the shot lingers on them and pulls back but you can kind of see their initial joy and 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 feeling of you know youthfulness and youthful love and and we're together and and screw the world we'll be together and all that start to fade and and it's very unsettling the first time you see it where mm. they're just like oh maybe like they're they're realizing so- the reality of what they've actually done I I like the idea that Titus and Yuna might have to explore the same thing, that they are different people now than they were before in a different situation than they were before. I think a lot of the stuff that Riku was saying in Last Mission is very interesting. Like, Yuna, this is not the you that I know. 
Like you were out here wanting to do adventures and stuff like that. You're just settling into a quiet life in Besaid. Is that really what you want or is it just what you're like settling for? I think there are some cool ideas there that given what we have explored so far are interesting things to explore in the context of Yuna and Titus's relationship because we haven't gotten much of an exploration of what their relationship is now that they're actually together together. So, and uh, I'll get this last thought out (laughs) Um, with, with Lulu kind of bringing this up and being like, you know, you moron, like this, this is what, what was going to happen. And, and you, we don't really get a reason it seems for why they're, they're living apart from each other, but we can guess that they maybe kind of grew apart. Maybe Titus is kind of using blitz as an excuse to be away and stuff like that. There's interesting subject matter to explore there. Uh, but I like the idea that there is a drifting apart and a frustration, maybe nothing said explicitly, but definitely implicitly said. And then uh, Lulu kind of having to smack Titus on the head as she has done many times before and be like, do you actually care about this person? Because this person cares about you, but they're also trying to give you space and, and figure things out yourself. And you're just letting her go in the process. That was kind of my reading of it. Mm. So, um, that was all wonderfully put, but mm-hmm. uh, I do want to remind you that Final Fantasy X Extended Universe does not have the forethought to think of something that intricate, <laughs> and instead, <laughs> the larger implication actually seems to be, and really this is what I've read over the years, just like the kind of general theory that everyone has out here, is, and I, mean, I don't know if you, whenever you listened to Will, but the actual dialogue that ends up happening with Lulu and Titus here at the, in, in Besaide is she, she says... If sin can come back, something else can come back. Right. And then right. Titus has a moment where, like, he like eyes wide open. We have to go find her. And the underlying theory is they're referring to the final Aeon, and that the entire thing about Yuna being like, "Oh, I'm in love with someone else," is so she doesn't have to sacrifice Titus for the final Aeon. And she and oh, what the fuck's his name, Kurgum, are oh that she's gonna like use Kurgum to make a final Aeon. Yeah, that is like. Oh sort God, of the that idea would suck. Is that they are both... <laughs> yeah, they are going to say that they love each other so one of them can be the final Aeon for the other summoner. So, you know, again, we're going to do the cycle that we completely undid at the very beginning, like the very first entry of this entire universe. And so... I mean, mm. theoretically, you could go down a path in which that could be interesting because even say yuna and titus are in this part where they're frustrated with each other but they still love each other and even though they're not on speaking terms yuna still doesn't want to end up having to sacrifice the person that she really does truly care about um it's complicated because they're they're a couple they're having a fight like this is this is real ass couple shit like they are having a fight and they're mad at each other, but they also still love each other. So how do you function with that when you have to create a final Aeon that has to kill Sin? Maybe that's the driving moment for Yuna to really, you know, because she's clearly regressed. Like, she has gone back to being mm-hmm. a summoner, essentially. She has gone back to being a priestess. She is going back to fight Sin. And there's almost a feeling of, you know, this this fairy tale ending that she thought she had is not panning out the way that it might have been envisioned in her mind so maybe she needs to just go do what she's good at and that means killing sin 
and this this Kurgum fella seems real eager to just jump on that boat. So sure, turn him into a final Aeon and throw him at Sin and make things all right again. Like I could almost see that going in a direction that is interesting. But they have like put this entire universe in a tailspin to get to something that is like possibly complex and interesting. And it's going to, and it, like in the in the event that ten three happens and this is the like the jumping off point, they're going to have to retread so much ground in a universe that was complete. Like it what like again like ten and ten two tell an arc of the universe and of a character in the center that deserved to just fucking sit there. And now because Square can't just let things fucking sit, mm. it's like they have undermined a lot. Like, I mean you know. In the event that ten three doesn't happen, uh, will in in and of itself just undermines everything that they fucking did, and like yeah. you know, like all these things that you're talking about, like it touches on you know interesting, you know possible ways that this could go out. But like for Final Fantasy to go from like what I would argue is like the most it has ever known itself into something that just feels like it is extrapolating upon all of these other ideas because somebody in fucking Square's writing room is bored. That is why, yeah, yeah. all of this is like extremely frustrating to me when make new things make new fucking video games that is the frustration is there there were some quotes that came out around this time uh about 10 3 where there was some talk about oh you know we were just kind of thinking about what a 10 3 would look like and we haven't ruled out you know the possibility of 10 3 we're i do like the idea there there's a quote from uh kitase uh the final fantasy 10 producer uh who saying that essentially they wanted to look at a opposite of the happy story. And, and, you know, that's where my interpretation of this comes from is what if the fairy tale ending doesn't turn out the way it was envisioned and they have to come to terms with the reality of it. And I do think that given the writing of 10, 10, two and last mission, I would at that point have faith that they could maybe turn that into something interesting and go an interesting direction with Mm -hmm. it. It is really 2.5 that sours the pot. Right. And and makes you suddenly two point five, and then by extension, the way that Square has continued to extrapolate out so many of its different properties into so many different entries, that you then become concerned that the goal is not necessarily to make a tight third entry to the series in the way that Ten Two was a tight, solid follow up mm-hmm. to Ten, but to make a a universe right. for lack of better term right. and i think there is a legitimate fear there for that and that would you know it doesn't make 10 any less of an amazing game it doesn't make 10 2 any less of an amazing game but it does continue to sour the pot and right. and turn it into a thing where we we are having this whole episode where we're like do we really have to talk about all this extra stuff because it's it's not it's not great. Right. You know, last mission is, is pretty interesting. And I think a nice epilogue, um, you know, mixed with some interesting gameplay and, and a different take on that world. And then 2.5 is, uh, you know, in breath of the wild, when you kind of try to mash a bunch of stuff together into the pot and it comes out with mm-hmm. like that censored, like nasty stuff. Uh, that's probably about a little bit more appetizing than 2.5 is. <laughs> and then we have will, which as I've said, I think Will has ideas. I think Will right. has something. It has a spark in there somewhere that I do have this feeling of now, what if we did have a 10-3 where we have two parties that you're playing with 
you know, a la Final Fantasy VI or something like that, and you're having to go through different emotions between these characters, and you've got this interesting dynamic between Yuna and Titus, and you could have this big emotional reunion at some point. Like, you could do a lot of cool stuff with it. I do... I don't know about Sin as this big symbolic evil, as basically a catalyst to institute that you know you have to right. face your emotions because sin is here sort of thing uh because i think sin carried a very different connotation for right. yuna and titus in 10 it was more about right. their own lineage and their own pasts you know and, they were both very tightly entwined with the being of of sin you know titus in the physical and and yuna in the spiritual and symbolical and I, I, I think just bringing it back as a catalyst to make right. Yuna and Titus confront their emotions is not spectacular, but again, how many cards do they have to play? Like right. I said, well, I didn't think Vagna Gun was that spectacular I mean, of even a catalyst then, like, it's, either. So. It's the difference between like how the Seven like extended universe brings back Sephiroth repeatedly, Yeah, but yeah. Sephiroth is a person with a motivation mm-hmm. and a relationship mm-hmm. to people instead of like a symbolic encapsulation of an idea. And that's why, like, right, bringing Sin right. back in 10-3, hypothetically, feels, like, both, like, incredibly fucking boring, but also just, like, really disrespectful to the story you told in the first place. And that I, that's what I feel most about these extended universe things, is, like, they feel like they're they're written and then put into the world without any real foresight or intention and, like, care for what it actually means to the universe that you're adding to. Like, they, they feel like drafts for something. Like, they, yeah, they feel like yeah. something that was that did not get, like, you know, the proper editing and, you know, consultation from, like, you know, everyone in, like, this year. I think there was one point when Square Enix had, like, a sort of, like, committee that was supposed to be, like, guiding the Final Fantasy series in a certain way. I don't even know what happened to that. But, like, it doesn't feel like somebody sat down and was like, what does this mean for the product that we already have put into the world that has a legacy that, you know, I mean, we talked about here, like, Tenant and Two are pretty widely well regarded but not necessarily considered like you know the, the level of seven um uh-huh, uh-huh. Or, or something like as recently like 14 has kind of like started to make for itself in like, right, recent years. Right. Um, and that's the interesting part is that like as as final fantasy stands now uh 14 has pretty much taken over the conversation to the point that yoshi p is both helming 14 and is also working on the next numbered entry in final fantasy as well and so that at least you know inspires some hope maybe that there is a more firm direction moving forward and not the sort of scattershot approach we had in a post 10 world mm-hmm. because you know 12 infamously had some issues uh and 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 troubles in in launching 11 11 was a weird thing that is is very complicated and complex to get into but basically just couldn't match up to the the power of wow and then 13 i think honestly 13 would be one that would be interesting to critically re-examine but also i think it does fall prey to a lot of the same stuff that we talk about here uh yeah like i said like i said even last time like i love those games they are very emblematic of like Square just try and shut out and right, right. And I think like you know, that's interesting in like a microcosm of like that. I mean, like the first thirteen game is like structurally built around the idea of experimentation and trying things again when they don't go right the first time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, comparatively, like ten and ten two collectively just feel very focused and 
intentional in every step that they take, mm-hmm. or that's just not what you you that's not the sense you get from everything that's coming after. Yeah, especially the way that Final Fantasy VII in particular was was dug out and exhumed and just combed over for we're going to do the the dirge of Cerberus and we're going to do before crisis and we're going to do at not advent children. No advent children. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the one for some reason I get that one mixed up with spirits within all the time. Uh, but yeah, we're going to do all this extra media. And even the, I, I think even the remake tried to like grapple with some of that, you know, they tried to say, Hey, how do you even begin to reapproach this story when it is not only a cultural juggernaut, but it is something that we ourselves have combed back over so many times mm-hmm. and have told this story so many times. Uh, and, and I'm interested to see honestly how they grapple with that because mm-hmm. it at least feels like they're, they're cognizant of that, but is 10 going to have the same cognizance and, and forethought, right. you know, we have evidence for, and we have evidence against. Right. So, uh, I I, I'm interested. I I, I will um, say like if a ten three comes out, I will be interested to see what it is. I'll play it, but it's it does have to set something up that I would feel like a real step forward in this universe. That is also going to come to something interesting and not just try and launch this series into another, uh, you know, expanded universe sort of thing. I would want it to be something that could cap it off theoretically right. and that's, put a definitive end to this once and for all. And that's the weird thing is like ten two so clearly did that. And you know, it's you know, we're talking we are recording this on April thirteenth and earlier this week is when Kingdom Hearts four was mm-hmm, revealed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is also, you know, I mean that's a very fraught series for uh, I think more reasons than any individual Final Fantasy. It's just because like it is you know, we we could we could do another podcast on Kingdom Hearts. But we're not going to. No, I, I no, would, we're not going to do. I would no, cancel Normandy no. FM before I ever did a Kingdom Hearts retrospective. No, no, like, I, I refuse. <laughs> as a person that like really kind of, I think I, I I defended a lot of the Kingdom Hearts series up until the point of Kingdom Hearts three because it, even you know with all the issues people have of like oh every game has like a really important story element that you have to know for everything else to make sense, I still mm-hmm. was on board with that and defended it because it was at least leading to something. Like it felt like. Even if there were like all these weird directions it was going, it was there was always an endpoint in in sight. It has a plan, Arthur. It right. has a plan. <laughs> and so now that we're like in Kingdom Hearts Four, where like they have finished one story and now they are good, like that universe is somehow becoming more expansive. That is less interesting to me than something that has a clear vision of what it wants to do, what it wants to say, which Tenzinu very much did, and. Uh, 2.5 is like a whole clusterfuck of bullshit, but Will seems like very actively regressive in a way that I'm not really excited. Like, I'm not, it's not even that I'm not really, I, li- I am 100% not excited about Final Fantasy X-3 made by Square Enix of today because I feel like it just, it just feels like playing with your food at this point. Like, you, mm. the ending of X-2, like, I'm, I'm really thinking about that perfect, the perfect ending of X-2 without the context of 2.5, but like, you know, Coming back to that first shot from the first game mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with Yuna there, it feels like an acknowledgement of like both this world's arc, but also that character's arc as, you know, we talked about a lot last episode, like reclaiming the idea of this is my story. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. that was always, or that always read weird to us when Titus was saying, and even like, you know, that's what he's telling himself to like deal with shit. Cause like man had a lot going on, but like Yuna as the centerpiece of this universe, finally, just kind of like standing in that spot for herself instead of having to be like down at the campfire 
was the perfect note to end on. You said what you needed to say, and now you're just pondering other things that you might be able to say in this framework. And that doesn't feel interesting to me. That feels, like, again, like that just feels like you're bored, and you know a lot of people like this game, and will probably buy more of it. And it's a real shame to, like, go on, like, you know, be on the final episode of this, this season and be leaving on such a fucking bummer note, because, like, I do, like I said last time, I feel like collectively Tenant and 2 were, like, I think we'd been probably the most almost universally positive on anything that we've ever done on Normandy FM, just because like, I feel mm-hmm. like those games, are they, they feel timeless and well-crafted and understood than anything that we've done for the, this, this show, Normandy FM. And to kind of, like, have to peek into a future where that might not be the case is extremely sad to me. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll fucking see. We will see. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, that that brings it to a close. And I do want to say that even though that is kind of a bummer closing to end on, I do feel like there is, there, there's still a lot to love about mm-hmm. this, this series. There's a lot to love about this Final Fantasy X. Uh, I've said it before that X uh, is a it's a game that i don't feel it gets its due all the time in in the broader canon of final fantasy and granted like there are a lot of really good final fantasies and that's a difficult thing to determine but i do think that 10 is just an excellent excellent game 10 2 is an excellent game and even if you know you only engage with it in that way and you probably should for your own mental health but <laughs> it's uh it's still excellent, and I, I do want to like end the series on that note, yeah. specifically. Um, but that is the end of the Final Fantasy X season. As we always, we are Normandy FM. What's up? We did it. We did it. We did it. I, I always feel it. a certain way when we finish the season of Normandy FM. It's Look like, at us, Ken. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> now we're going into a like I mean somehow oh. more complicated game. Oh God! <laughs> why did we? Why did I agree to this? It's It'll be fun. Idea. It's gonna be great. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, we are Norm DFM. We are a retrospective podcast that that has done Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Jade Empire, The Last of Us, Final Fantasy X, and now we are moving on to Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> because we just, you know, after reading 2.5, uh, much like Johnny Cash, we said I hurt myself today <laughs> to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain. And made a Cyberpunk 2077 podcast. So that's what we're doing. Uh, if you want to support us in this endeavor, uh, you can head to patreon.com slash normdfm and back us there. Any level will get you into the backer discord where you can hang out and talk with people. Especially if you're starting up a Cyberpunk playthrough to play along with us. It's a great time to do that. Uh and if you back at the next level, you will get these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them, which for the folks listening on that feed, you are getting this so far ahead of the free feed at this point. It's it's amazing. Uh, otherwise, the free feed publishes every other week on Wednesdays. And if you back at the highest level, you also get your name shouted out on every episode. And this episode, that list is just Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, and Shane Erickson. Thank you so much for contributing and doing what you do and keeping the lights on here at Normandy FM. And if you don't want to back us financially, that's fine. 
like, subscribe, leave, leave us a five-star review, tell your friends about us. We want to get the word out. You know, Cyberpunk, big game, big season. We're going to have a ton of guests. Might be the most guest-heavy season we've ever mm. had. And we're bringing in the big hitters, baby. We're bringing in Keanu. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Keanu, we actually reached out to. He's he's going to come on when we do Final Fantasy VII Remake. Him and Robert Pattinson are going to come on. We're going to have a great talk. It's going to be excellent. Uh, but uh, if you want to help out, that's a great way to do it, too. It gets us higher in that algorithm, higher in the searches. And that's what we want at the end of the day. You know, We want more people to hear about the things we're doing and to participate in this little game club that we have. But Ken... You and I have got some cyberpunk to play, mm-hmm. so we're gonna have to say goodbye to Spira. But you know, they'll always, they'll always remember it. We'll always look back on these moments fondly. I think. Yeah, you know when it ended at last mission, and that was you know, the the thesis it left it on. We'll always have Isn't our it memories. Great, it ended there. We'll always have our memories here on Normandy FM. <laughs> Thank you.